Hello, Marvelites. This is Marvel's The Pullist for books coming out May 16th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus, a.k.a. T-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-R-K-U-S. I watched the light go out in your eyes for a second. Like, you, you literally look like you died and restarted back up. It was <laughs> I rebooted. Yeah. T-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-R-K-U-S. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> My own individual theme song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, Robot Tucker is here with us today. It's wonderful. We're excited. We're talking about new comics. Thanks for the feedback to last episode. Uh, we want more of it. Uh, let us know how we can change up and do some fun stuff. Uh, we're going to go back to alphabetical this episode, but I think we're going to keep looking at ways to tweak and change and, and make the show cooler and different and fun. And speaking of cool, different, and fun, Maybe you noticed there's a video version what? of Marvel's The Pull List. You can watch that on Marvel social media, YouTube, Marvel.com, of course. Uh, check that out because it's going to be a little bit different. We'll probably hit some of the same notes. But then you can see me and Tucker in all our glory talking about books. It's going to be great. Every oh, week boy. we're going to look in, uh, to do this. Yeah. All Marvel fans everywhere have been delighted to see the, the glorious handlebar that you exhibit for eons. But now they have to look at this. And by this audio medium, I'm pointing to my face. <laughs> Big swoop of hair. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, forgive me, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, so stay tuned for that weekly along with the continued podcast version. And again, we keep telling you new art and theme song, really cool stuff very soon. So uh, with all that in mind, let's dive into the new comics out this week. I'm going to go first. Because we're going alphabetically, and the first book out the gate is one of my picks. Wow. You better believe it. It's all new Wolverine, number 35. So I read this just today because it wasn't in my books previously uh, that I had when I was on my trip. And so this issue, I'm looking at the cover now for the first time, really, and it says the last all new Wolverine on the cover. And that just, it just like hit me in the heart. Yeah. This is it. This is the last issue of one of my all-time favorite comic book series, All New Wolverine. This book is by Tom Taylor, writer, artist, Ramon Rosanas, colors by Nolan Woodard, uh, letters by Corey Petit. It is so good. Such a fitting, big, but emotional ending to this story of in the future, you have old woman Laura. She is, you know, a leader in the world she has done so much seen so much and she's dying and it's her taking down the biggest threat that the world has left uh with some of her friends her family and this is that story this is just huge chock full of uh you know special cameos and uh big moments emotional it opens up with someone crying uh and devastated and and seemingly there's death uh but it ends in this moment of hope and possibility for the future. Even though it says the end very clearly right at the bottom, <laughs> it says the end, it gives you hope that there's so much more. I'm going to talk about this more in depth on This Week in Marvel with Jamie Frevely, uh, but I, I swear, this book, there's 35 issues plus a couple extras here and there. I think the Generations issue. Uh, read it. Read it. Absorb all its glory and know that it is... It was a fantastic run of comic books. Absolutely. Another one that you absolutely should be reading You is said absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, is another We're going comic to talk. book that you should. You do your <laughs> James, uh, what's James Stewart, and I'll do my Sean Connery. Oh, 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 
oh, oh, I, I had a dog named Blue, and 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 and, and, and old Blue died. That's Jimmy Stewart. Uh, introducing his poem that he wrote about his dead dog named Blue when he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, like, I don't know, 30 years ago. Oh. We're, we're talking about old man Laura. How about old man Jimmy Stewart, like, tearing up, telling this gorgeous poem? Anyway. No, don't thanks. We could talk about that forever. But Avengers number two is another thing I could talk about forever. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales and Jay Listine, colors by David Curiel, and letters by Corey Petit. The first issue obviously is kind of, you know, the job of any first issue I feel like is to just point us in the direction of the different characters, the different corners of the world that we're going to pull in, especially with a team-up book, especially with uh, Avengers. But uh, what I love so much about issue number two here is that it feels like we're getting into the kind of the gauntlet, the fire that's going to forge this team into one. And it's really just kicking off the final host whom we have been hearing about for a long time. There are Celestials, Earthbound, the Avengers are trying to take them on. Uh, There's a lot of emphasis on the Spirit of Vengeance Ghost Rider, uh, Robbie Reyes in this issue. There's a lot of focus on Jennifer Walters and her, you know, really unique Hulk spirit, which I love so much. But again, it's just kind of chaos. They're trying to contain this threat and not... Doing it, they're doing an okay job, but it's uh, on the brink of spiraling out of control. Like I said, this feels like the chaos that's going to really force this team to come together to work as one. Because at the moment, it feels like they're really working as individuals. And I can't wait to see those those threads kind of come into that one kind of hole. The other thing that I love about this issue is that it's narrated through the whole way. And it's such a cool little device because it's narrated. You don't know who's narrating until the last page. And it is quite a wonderful reveal. Yeah. It's nuts. The, the level of the scope of this book is so cool. Uh, and, and I love Ed McGinnis so much and the way we, he embodies that in his art. There's this panel that I really loved, which is Carol Danvers holding a falling celestial and trying to keep it from crashing to Earth. It's so cool because that perspective, that angle – it shows that scope of what is going on. It's also proof that Carol is the friggin' best. She's doing everything she can uh, to, to keep things going. One of the, the nice touches that I loved about this was Robbie Reyes, uh, we get to actually see thought bubbles. Uh, as we don't, which, you know, we don't see those very often anymore. Um, they are a device that, for whatever reason, has fallen out of fashion. Though I love them, we get to see inside Robbie's head and what he's thinking there, which I won't spoil anything, but really provides a great angle into things, the, what you were talking about before. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, there's another Avengers book out this week. It's called Avengers Back to Basics, number six. It's the big finale of the series um, that's been on Comixology. It's written by Peter David, art by Brian Lovell and Jordan Boyd, with letters by Jimmy Betancourt. It opens um, with a bit of a spoiler if you have not been reading. So fast forward about 30 seconds, 45 seconds or so if you don't want to hear this. Okay, cool. Uh, And it's Kamala trapped in her past, having witnessed the accidental death of her own mother. It is a heartbreaking opening to this book, uh, the way this series has been, because she was sort of in this using these VR goggles, and then Kang, he done messed it up. He took her out of reality into her own past and did this 
crazy stuff, really emotional business in there. Uh, but it's got Kamala with fighting with the original Avengers, There's time travel, more Kang, old lady Kamala with these crazy cool powers and this good, like just this gnarly look for her, which is so different from anything you've seen before with Kamala. And it's the idea that this is a Kamala who's older, seen so much and done so much. When she comes in, you're like, what is that all about? It's really great. And you get a really sweet ending. So Great series. Check it out. If you have not, it's on Comixology. Uh, that is Avengers Back to Basics number six. Now, on to Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider number 18. And I'm excited because we finally get to catch up with the threads of Mysterio and Mysterio's daughter that Peter, David, the writer, and, and uh, Will Sliney, the, the artist on the book uh, up until you know the last bunch of issues, they've been dropping these little crumbs for so long. This issue, written by Peter David, art by Andre Lima Arojo, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Andre's art, always dope. Love it so much. Uh, His cane is like a little beefy. You know, he's, he's, he's... Thick. He's a little thick, and uh, his the the vibe to Andre's art is just it's European. It's cool. There's just I every time he draws a book, I just I'm so into it. Makes me so happy to see his art. Uh, there's magic and mystery and poor poor Las Vegas. Just can't catch a break right now. I hope Ben Morse is okay. Shoutouts to Ben. My next book is Cable Number. 157. It's written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with art by German Peralta, colors by Jesus Abertov, letters by Travis Lanham. I love thinking about the pitch that Zach and Lonnie had for this series where it's just like they must have just said we're going to take Cable and we're going to throw him into like the cracks between so many different stories and threads uh, throughout uh, this character's history. This issue takes place after Cable number 54, uh, which uh, is from the 1993 series. And it, it's so cool because we're jumping into all like these different eras and the, like I said, these different threads, but you, you maintain the, the through line through it all, which is the character, which is Cable himself. Uh, which is his point of view with everything. Can I jump in real quick? I got real excited about this one. Yeah. I This was nearly one of my picks. My first line in my notes is all caps, Herman Peralta is channeling those Jose Ladron vibes and it gives me life. Jose Ladron is this, just, this artist who does not do nearly enough Marvel work for me. He's... He's got this European Mobius Kirby-ish style that is just the coolest. And Ladrone did a run on cable um, with writer Joe Casey uh, that you you were mentioning, you're referencing. And it takes place in that era. And Peralta hits those notes so well. It just it, it just looks so cool. Like he if you look at those issues and you look at this, you're like, oh man, that it works so well. You can slot this, like you're saying, into the cracks of of that series. Um, and then, yeah, it has one of my favorite cable supporting characters shows up, the mighty, wonderful, weird blacksmith. Uh, blacksmith is such a gnarly character. Uh, yeah, it's, so, so it works perfectly for someone like me who, you know, I don't have these, like, intricate frames uh, of reference, but, it, you know, it works so perfectly, and I love this series so much because of exactly how they're doing that, and it feels like such a unique take, and it's the perfect character, obviously, to do that with. But from your perspective, it's you know it has all of those other elements. It's pulling in all of these different influences and things like that, which makes takes you know 
that base level of just coolness with this series and just elevates it even more. Um, so yeah, it's a really unique book in that sense, and I'm just loving what they're doing. Yeah. Plus, it's got Nate Gray. Nate Gray. Yeah. Nate Gray is the Age of Apocalypse version of Cable who came through after that reality ended. He was created by Sinister. I love him so much. He's great. Oh, and this book, um, the first half is is like one thing, but then the second half becomes a riff on John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Um, which, like, I was reading, I was like, oh, boy, this is really cool. Like, some of it just set up exactly like The Thing. I love this book. Man. All right. Also, so good is Captain America number 702 in this is Jamie Frevely's pick for This Week in Marvel. So we're going to talk about that a lot more on the This Week in Marvel show later in the week. But this is a cool issue that continues building this this sort of this reality. We've got three different time periods, three different things going on. And with it, we have three different artists that are joining uh, writer Mark Wade. The artists are Leonardo Romero with uh, Rod Reese and Howard Chaikin. Colors by Jordi Belair with Rod Reese and Jesus Arbutov, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So we've got the Rod Reese art doing this World War II section, Howard Chaikin, which is great, legendary Howard Chaikin art on this final battle for the Cosmic Cube between Captain America and Red Skull, which ties very heavily into what goes on in the main story that has Leo's art. Uh, it's, it's just, again, it's this neat story about legacy, history, and destiny, which I think is really neat. Oh, yeah. Next is Daredevil number 602, which is written by Charles Soule, with art by Mike Henderson, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This feels like, as we get further into, okay, spoilers, Matt Murdock taking over the mayor's office here, as we get further and further into that vein and into Matt's perspective on, you know, dealing with this latest occurrence in his life, this issue feels more like as much as a like a political thriller as it does a superhero comic and i love that so much like it, it kind of felt like an episode of the west wing almost oh my god oh my god in, so <laughs> my first line in my notes for daredevil is here's my pitch a season of daredevil with matt as mayor and aaron sorkin as showrunner yeah there you Boom. go Continue talking. Uh, i love it so much because really for the first half of this comic it's matt in the mayor's office at City Hall, uh, which is nice. So it's just like a it's like a five minute walk from my apartment, which I love. But <laughs> oh, uh, please give us your address. <laughs> uh, and he's just kind of in crisis uh, control mode, and he's directing his different advisors and uh, cabinet members to do different things as the hand is kind of trying to take over New York City. And who does he call? But his old friend, Foggy. Foggy Nelson comes in. He's this new chief of staff. And I love it because they're kind of like two fish out of water here dealing with this. But we know they're so smart. We know they have this knowledge of, you know, this other world that is kind of attacking New York City and is uh, the mayor's office is having to deal with. But because of that, we trust them. And really what the best part of this is, is it really just takes the stakes of, you know, lawyer Matt Murdock. And Daredevil, and it just raises them times 100, where it's Mayor Matt Murdock, and he has so many more responsibilities. He is such more of a public face, even more than he was as district attorney, certainly even more than he was as deputy mayor. Um, So he has to maintain that while also being a superhero. It's a really, really difficult thing for him to handle, and Foggy has some thoughts on how he should do it. He has his own thoughts on how he should do it. Blindspot comes into the story. Uh, There's a – we know that – 
because of this uh, great cover, which is by Chris Sprouse, Carl Story, and Marte Gracia. I really just want this like Mayor Murdoch storyline to go on as long as possible. Now, Tucker, Daredevil, as we know, has a new job, yeah. but it's one that he lucked into. If only the government had something like Zipper, could the government use a wonderful service like ZipRecruiter? If they did, they would be really smart and really lucky to get Matt Murdock. Yes, or anyone, because ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for as an employer. They identify people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So quick. I've been at Marvel so long, and I know how long the hiring process takes. Getting people through the door that are right for you, that's amazing. I've gone through resumes. If I had a service... Like ZipRecruiter, when I was hiring for someone, man, it'd be hot. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash list. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash list. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Clause for a killer hunt for Wolverine. This is the, I think, believe the third yep. uh, limited series in the Hunt for the Wolverine saga. Uh, this one is written by writer Mariko Tamaki. Pencils by Butch Geis. Inks by Cam Smith. Colors by Dan Brown. Letters by Joe Sabino. And, uh, you know, this one is got Dokken, Deathstrike, and Sabretooth on the hunt for Wolverine so they can kill him. It's a great, like, like oh, he's back, alive. Might as well kill him. We've all got beef with them. Uh, it's, they do. You know, Dokken was murdered by his dad. Deathstrike was basically created, uh, enhanced to kill Wolverine. And Sabretooth has just, like, that's his life's journey is to find ways to hurt Wolverine. Uh, so it's cool. You get a, th- that cool twist for these search minis. And it's dark. It's creepy. There's a spooktacular twist in the book that works really, really well, especially because of the art. Butch has been working in comics for nearly 40 years. Wow. Uh, I was looking. His, like, his first published work was like 1981. It's wild. He can do superhero stuff, and it looks really cool. Uh, but he brings such realism and grit to a book, and it, it's... It's fantastic here. You know, we just talked about Daredevil. Earlier, we talked about seeing thought bubbles and reading people's thoughts. We have both of those things here. In a way. In a way. We have both those things in Infinity Countdown, Daredevil number one, which is written by Jerry Duggan, with pencils by Chris Sprouse, Phil Noto, and Lee Ferguson, inks by Scott Hanna, Carl Story, Phil Noto, and Lee Ferguson, colors by Matt Yaki, and letters by Clayton Cowles. I love this so much because you could just tell it's Jerry doing what he's always imagined and what he's always wanted to do with a Matt Murdock Daredevil story. You know, he's just taking advantage of the powers of his heightened senses of his backstory in such a really interesting way. I love on the second page, we get a little, you know, as we flash back to uh, Matt Murdock's origin story, um, there's just such a cool way that Matt's first night with his heightened super senses was and how it was so difficult and kind of terrifying for him just as a child hearing these things just hearing everything in New York City for the first time before he was able to command his powers what's going on here is uh, Matt Murdock is essentially in pursuit of Turk 
who is in possession of the Mind Stone. Uh, and that's how it folds into the larger Infinity Countdown story. And it's a really interesting choice. It's something that Jerry's spoken about before, about, like, Turk. Turk, of all people. He's, like, the street-level villain. Like, he's never, like, played that major a role in, like, many, like, big events or any stories like that. So it's such an interesting choice to rope him into this in such a, in such a massive way. Yeah, calling him a villain is almost giving him too much, right? right like right. he's a henchman. Yeah, uh, he's always been this this you know side character who's been involved in Daredevil's life, but you know he's been in the the TV show and he's you know always been around. So it's such a cool choice to be in this position at the same time. Yeah, I, I just love Jerry's interpretation of who Matt Murdock, who Daredevil is, how he uh, he kind of makes him into like a detective uh, in a way where he's kind of, he's searching for Turk. He is a little bit cautious in what he's doing. He's, you know, kind of doing some research. He's asking around. And, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see how these two characters come together, how they don't come together at the same time. I don't want to say too much, but uh, it's a really, really interesting take on Daredevil. Heck yeah. Uh, this also has one of my favorite covers by Clayton Crane. So good. So cool. Uh, I'm so glad Clayton is back again doing more Marvel stuff. He's got a couple covers this week. Makes me happy. What also makes me happy is Mighty Thor at the Gates of Valhalla. Number one. This was so fun. Yeah. Valhalla! That joke has never been done before. <laughs> Crushed it. Nailing it. We keep going. Uh, this is one of my picks of the week. I talk about this a lot on This Week in Marvel. But I got to say, Jason Aaron gets my friendo of the year pick because he includes the mighty Dargo Couture in this issue. Dargo Couture is the Thor of the 26th century. He is my favorite interpretation of Thor because he's got this beautiful mullet and he's got these spikes on his shoulder pads and he's just wonderful. He's a member of the Thor Corps. He is the most 90s interpretation of Thor <laughs> possible. And I love him so much. We actually have a poster of the Thor Corps downstairs at Marvel headquarters. And every time I give a tour, I always stop and I say, and this is Dargo Couture, Thor of the 26th century. Look at his mullet. Look at his spikes. Continue. We're walking. We're walking. And so it, on your tour, you I, stop for the Thor Corps to say hi to Dargo Couture. You better believe it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of that. Uh, it's a mouthful and it's worth it. Uh, so we've got that. This has two awesome stories, very different stories in this one, but they are both terrific. The first one is called The Tomorrow Girls. It's written, all this is written by Jason Aaron, but it's art by Jen Bartel uh, with colors by Matt Wilson, letters uh, by Joe Sabino. Uh, the second story is The Lord of the Realms uh, with art by Ramon Perez, colors by Matt Wilson, and letters by Joe Sabino, of course, written by Jason Aaron. So it's cool. The first part brings up uh, Thor's granddaughters uh, that we've seen. Uh, they showed up a ton in the God of Thunder series. Super fun characters. And then the second story is about Malekith and really gives us a, a check-in on the War of the Realms. Uh, I'll, we'll dig into more of this on This Week in Marvel later this week. But man, so good! Your pick of the week, one of your picks of the week, onto my pick of the week, which is Punisher number 224. This is the first of a new arc, which is called, it's not Punisher War Machine anymore. Now it's Punisher War Criminal. Uh, and it's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Stefano Landini, colors by Lee Lowridge, and letters by Corey Petit. Oh, man, I love this so much. I, I, as I was reading, it just kept getting better and better and better. Essentially what's going on, 
Uh, Frank Castle is coming back to the States from Chernaya. He's taking care of business over there. But the superheroes on his home turf are not happy with what he's been doing, specifically Carol Danvers, who is really upset that he has taken over her dearly uh, departed uh, James Rhodes war machine armor and kind of defiling it in her perspective. She's, you know, Rhodey was such an honorable man all the way to the end. And to see Frank Castle, of all people, take it and use it for his very, very unique brand of we'll put it in quotes, justice, is something that does not sit well with her. And she takes the fight to him almost immediately. It is so good. It's so awesome to see these powers kind of go up against each other. But more than that, it's about the dialogue for me. I mean, Matt Rosenberg is one of the best out there at writing incredible dialogue. And you can feel it so hard in this issue because it's just about the nature of heroism, about the nature of doing this business. It's about these personal beefs that have come up, about each character's history. There's so much pulled in from these different angles. And uh, it all adds up to, you know, Frank Castle just trying to do his business, but with some big obstacles in his way. And I just love the attitude that it, that it brings forth. Yeah, this book opens on another one of my favorite things. The Bar With No Name. Mm -hmm. Bar With No Name. One of my favorite things in the Marvel Universe. Just this bar where the supervillains hang out. And they just, they don't want to get harassed, man. (laughs) They're just here to have a drink. Uh, I love that. It's a great little piece of the Marvel Universe. Last Mm. thing I want to say about Punisher 224. Yes. Frank Castle flies through a guy. It's the best. (laughs) It rules. It it does. (laughs) It really does. Well, it's also great because you can see the the different sides here, right? You can see everybody's kind of right. I mean, I don't condone Frank doing what he does necessarily, but Frank's got a tool that lets him do what he wants to do on a scale that he never could before. He's going to take that and go to town with it. He's like, this is that's his thing. He's going to end criminals and he's going down that path. The heroes are pissed because he backed Hydra, which is terrible and messed up that he's doing more murder on a mass scale and that he's doing it, as you said, in their friend's old armor. I get it. I get all the sides here. It makes it more, you're like so emotionally invested in the story. It's terrific. On to Quicksilver, No Surrender number one. This is uh, following, of course, on the No Surrender storyline that was in Avengers. Uh, That was the big Mark Wade, Al Ewing, Jim Zub, and wonderful artist teams who did that big run. And Quicksilver had a a cool part to play, especially right at the end. Uh, And this picks up sort of after, like right in the middle of all the ending Wildness. Uh, it's written by Salazar Ahmed, art by Eric Gwynn, colors by Rico Renzi, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And it's neat. It's kind of like um, a Twilighty Zony story and also a neat exploration of who Quicksilver is, how he views running, the world, other people, speed, himself. Uh, it's a very nice companion slash update to the classic X Factor number 87 by Peter David and Joe Quesada. Um, that is you know, from 1993, we got a lot of who Quicksilver was, and this is this adds some really neat stuff to that. Uh, you're digging into Pietro's head. I like it. It's Quicksilver sort of trapped by his own speed is a neat, neat story. If you are interested in the concept of someone, like, trapped in their own world, then you just open a door and look at me reading some Star Wars comics because <laughs> that is the equivalent. <laughs> that 
is what happens with Star Wars Poe Dameron number 27, which is written by the incredible Charles Soule. Oh my gosh, I cannot say enough about how much I love this issue and how much I love the choices he made. Uh, with art by the wonderful Angel Unzueta, with colors by Arif Prianto and Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Joe Caramagna. We are continuing with uh, the events in the immediate aftermath of The Last Jedi, and I love it so much. On the first page, we do a little flashback, and instead of saying earlier or before or years ago or something like that, of course, the little caption says, a long time ago. It's Han. It looks like maybe Return of the Jedi era Han. Young, roguish. That's right. Dashingly handsome. And then we come back to the present and we see it's Leia. She's on the Falcon. This is uh, like we saw at the end of the film. What's left of the Resistance is flying away on the Millennium Falcon. But she's Uh, like, she's dreaming about him, right? And it it breaks your heart. Yeah. yeah. Breaks your heart. Absolutely. Even if they were like, they went through all the things that they went through. They still loved each other, yeah. and they, they were still connected, and that loss is still so fresh. One hundred percent. I mean, he uh, he just captures it so so well. Uh, Nian Nub uh, shows up in the cockpit and says, "Hey, can I jump in the seat?" And Leia's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure. You deserve to sit here, but just as much as anybody." And then, folks, we get. I don't know if it's the only one that I've ever seen, but it is without a doubt the best one. The best fist bump. That I've ever seen in Star Wars between Chewie and Yen Nub. There's, it's just like there's one panel where it's a super close up of them. It's like a team up moment that I love so much. It is one of my favorite panels of the week. One of my favorite panels one of my probably panels of the week ever. As well. It is so, so good. Uh, and then we jump to, uh, I, I wanted to shout this out specifically, this splash page. I think it's so cool. It's such a cool visualization. Essentially what's happening is Poe is catching up with Finn and Rey. They're talking about where they've been because they've been on their own huge, crazy journeys. Uh, And this is their moment to kind of get to know each other a little bit. And we see Poe telling them the story from his perspective of the Battle of Takodana, which took place in The Force Awakens. That's uh, around Maz's castle and everything that happened there. There's this great splash page where you can follow Poe's black X-Wing essentially in this one amazing run that he made uh, that we see in the film where Finn watches it from the ground, says, that's one hell of a pilot. Uh, uh, but th- it's just this great kind of like zoomed out perspective that you can follow it and you see all the little details in there. I loved it so much. And then we get some just really wonderful, wonderful, wonderful character interaction between these these major characters that we've rarely gotten to see interact like on an intimate scale before. Uh, and then there is some really excellent stuff that goes on with Black Squadron and uh, the buildup to the assault on Starkiller Base, uh, which was like out of nowhere, like tugging on the heartstrings. And it's just a really awesome look uh, at this team. And it's great because they've played such a huge part in the Poe Dameron series. And it's so cool to get those little drop-in little moments from their perspective as well as we kind of look back as we're moving forward. Charles Soule is weaving in like three or four different timelines here. So many different characters. I think he just does it incredibly well. Yeah. Did we know that Maz Kanata was a thousand years old? I don't think we did. Yeah. So that's yeah. A, that's a, that was a bit of news. I was like, Ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting tasty tidbits <laughs> yeah. all throughout this arc. All right, on to Weapon H, number three. Oh, man. This has brood wolves. 
Brood Wolves, y'all. And you can see the, the cover, one of my favorite covers of the week uh, by Linneal Francis Yu and Romulo Ferrado Jr. Uh, it's got the title character, Weapon H, Hulk Farine, infected by the brood. And it's gnarly and it's reminiscent of a classic uh, Uncanny X-Men cover where Wolverine was infected by the brood. Um, but this is super cool. Uh, it's written. This issue by Greg Pak, art by Corey Smith, colors by Maury Hollowell with Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Joe Caramagna. And uh, I want to go back. Brood wolves, it's so gross, and flying brood sharks. Roxxon, <laughs> I love this idea of Roxxon using brood hybrids for whatever they need. They use the brood wolves as trackers. They use the brood sharks as just these flying monsters. It's it's terrifying. It makes sense and is so nefarious. Uh, imagine a huge corporation using alien xenomorphs as trackers, like a, a xenomorph uh. dog <laughs> as a tracker. And like that's what they're doing. Like a real world is just terrifying. <laughs> messed up. Uh, very nasty. Um, like I talked about previously, Corey's art, especially in the action scenes, it's so vicious, kinetic, bloody, and awesome. Uh, really, really digging it. I love that Roxxon is, is sort of what Clay, our uh, Weapon H, is going up against in this series. Really cool. Next is X-Men Red number four, which is written by Tom Taylor with art by Mahmoud Azrar, colors by Rain Burrito, and letters by Corey Petit. We're in Wakanda in this issue. Mm-hmm. The team has taken refuge in Wakanda, or at least tried to, and so they meet up with Ororo, and they meet up with T'Challa, uh, and they kind of are dealing with really present, uh, clear and present dangers uh, right in front of them that are, you know, threatening them with physical harm, things like that. It's something they need to deal with right now. Uh, but there's also, in a bigger sense, there's kind of this proxy war going on from Cassandra Nova, who is essentially trying to set them up, trying to frame them, trying to take them down for her own kind of twisted uh, weird telepathic reasons. So it's really, it's a really interesting thing because it's not really a fight that the X-Men Red team can have directly. They just have to deal with all the things that are being thrown at them while, you know, never really getting a moment to take a breath and really see what's going on. It's a really, really kind of mutant-focused uh, story in that way because it's that's really what's going on here. It's about uh, the principles of... Uh, mutant kind and Jean's take on that. She wants to solve things. She wants to bring mutants and humans together, but uh, that's being weaponized against her in a really big way. Like I said, from uh, Cassandra, and uh, I, I, I really loved seeing the, the red team uh, in Wakanda here, seeing the different powers go up uh, and team up with Storm, team up with uh, the Black Panther. Trinary is involved in a really great way. That's a new character that is bringing some really interesting things to the team and to uh, this narrative. And it can't be – we can't We can't not say it. There's some Namor apps going on in here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You, all caps in my <laughs> notes, sexy Namor in the house. Uh, <laughs> but before we get to sexy Namor, I got to talk about a little bit about Gentle, uh, mm-hmm. who is part of the Red Squad. Uh, we, you know, When we announced the book and we sort of teased it, we showed him. And this is really getting Gentle into the mix of things. Uh, he's a Wakanda mutant with like crazy super level strength. Like he is Colossus level strong. But the thing is he's going to get stronger. Uh, the more he uses his powers – they grow. 
And as they grow, it could and will become too much for his body. So he's this great character who is, as his name says, he's a sort of a soft-spoken dude. He is gentle. He doesn't want to get involved in this stuff, but he has all this immense power. And the tattoos that are all over his body are actually vibranium tattoos that help control his powers and are meant to help him so he doesn't die. Very rad character. Really cool. I'm excited to see what Tom Taylor and Mahmood and the team do with him. And I just love, there's this moment where he protects Storm from herself and it's just so, so good, gentle, dope character. Uh, but yes, we got that sexy Namor. Uh, I mean, look, they make him put on a suit, like a, uh, <laughs> a superhero bodysuit, and I get it. It's for story reasons. <laughs> uh, and it leads to Gabby calling Namor Abslantis, which is one of the best things. Tom Taylor doing the Lord's work again. <laughs> With Gabby. Uh, But still, the man just likes wearing his little trunks and nothing but his little trunks. Let him live his best life. He is the king of the seven seas. He is Namor. Let him be sexy. Uh, That's that, though. On to X-Men Wedding Special number one. We've got three stories in this issue. Uh, The return of legendary X-Men writer Chris Claremont. He is joined by Todd Nock and Rochelle Rosenberg for a story called The Dream Before. Mark Guggenheim is joined by Greg Land, Jay Lyston, and Jason Keith for Boys Night Out. Kelly Thompson is joined by Marika Cresta and Federico Blee for a story called Something Old. Now, the first story is is cool. This is like a tour of Kitty Pride's life. It's looking at all the things she's been through as she leads up to her wedding. She's been through so much. It's, it's really neat. Second story kind of ties into Damnation. Because it's set in uh, Las Vegas. We've got X-Men Gold, number 26, which is a big part of uh, this whole storyline. It ties into that and, and what is happening with Colossus. So it takes place before the last issue of X-Men Gold. But you've got demons. You've got this casino. You've got fighting. You've got mistaken identities and some really fun stuff. Uh, the third story is my favorite of the book with many of the X-Ladies joining Kitty Pride for Stripperoki. <laughs> stripper karaoke and it's called stripperoki in here it is really funny kitty is very embarrassed by it all i love that storm is just embracing it rogue is all about it uh many of the x-women are having fun some of them are a little bit less but this is a super fun story we get an appearance from callisto and just general fun and revelry and the next book is pretty much the epitome of fun because it's a game it is a game and book all in one, it's You Are Deadpool, number three, written by Al Ewing with art by Salva Espin, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Joe Sabino. This issue of the game is so fun. It feels like 20 different genres piled into one in a really, really fun way. And look, I just want to cut to the chase. The best part for me is showcased right on the cover. It's the man thing. The dude is involved in a really, really fun, big way. It's swampy goodness in this issue. It's so much fun. Continues the great game, the kind of uh, role-playing aspect of it with your sadness score, your badness score, and uh, your inventory at your side. And I want to say, Man-Thing pops up in one other issue Mm -hmm. this week. I won't say what issue. Mm -mm. You'll have to find out for yourself. It is a great week for Man-Thing fans, and I certainly count myself among them, uh, Man-Thing, all the way. You would not burn at the touch of Man-Thing, because you do not fear him. You love him. Yeah. You want to hug old Man-Thing. 
Heck yeah. We also have two True Believers issues out this week. We have Wolverine Dying Game, number one, and Wolverine Fatal Attractions, number one. Those are both run you just a cool dollar each. Get those. Check out some classic Wolverine books. Collections on sale this week include... Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, Spider-Man No More, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider Volume 3, The Slinger's Return, Deadpool Classic Volume 22, Murder Most Foul, Defenders Masterworks Volume 6, Fantastic Four Visionaries, John Byrne Volumes 2 through 6, Hulk Return to Planet Hulk, Moon Knight Legacy Volume 1, Crazy Runs in the Family, Punisher Invades the Nom, and Star Wars Poe Dameron Volume 4, Legend Found. Yes. And Punisher Invades the Nom is really is neat. We had this book called The Nom, which was, you know, about Vietnam and this whole story. And then, you know, back in the day, Punisher's origin story was he was a soldier in Vietnam, uh, a Marine. And so this was him, like the stories of him as a soldier in Vietnam. It's really, really neat. Uh, so some of the digital comics on sale this week are actually those issues that go into that collection. So Punisher Invades the Nom, Final Invasion, and some issues of the Nom are some of the books available on the Marvel app this week. On a freshly digitized front, um, we've got tons of stuff. There's classic cable up in here, issues 80 through 86 and 88 through 96. The Thor core are added to Marvel Unlimited this week. I did not know that until I read it just this second. I am very excited. Now I get to go back and relive the glory that is Dargo Kator anytime I want to. We also have Thor Godstorm 1 through 3. So check out the full list of comics that are hitting the Marvel apps, Marvel Unlimited, as well as just the new releases. That'll be in the show notes and a new story on Marvel.com. So much good stuff. Dargo Kator is back, baby! It's the Dargo Kator episode. Man, someday I just need to dress up as Dargo Couture and just embrace it. Oh, please. Anyway, on that note, this has been Marvel's The Pull List. Thanks for listening. This is Marvel. Your universe.